0: Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast. Less doing, more living, more living, more living, more living. Hi, I'm Ari Meisel, and this is The Art of Less Doing. Optimize, automate, outsource. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, optimize, automate, and outsource outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Optimize, automate, outsource. Hey, everybody. This is episode 156, and I am sitting here in my house in Long Island. We have some friends visiting for the Memorial Day weekend, and my wife, Anna, is teaching a yoga class to all of them. Uh, she used to be a yoga instructor, and she had her own studio in Lower Manhattan called Prana on Prince, and she stopped doing that after she became a mom. So it's really cool to see her teaching her friends right now. She's a she's a great yoga instructor. So. It's very inspiring, actually. Anyway, uh, so I got some links to share with everybody today. First of all, uh, this is episode 156, as I said, and the interview is with Gretchen Rubin, and some of you probably know Gretchen Rubin from all of her work in happiness, but she's uh, she talks about happiness and now her new book is called Better Than Before, which is all about creating habits, and it was a really fun conversation. So before we get to that though, I want to tell you about a couple things. First of all, there was a, an article on Time Magazine about seven exercise apps for people who hate working out. Now I may have mentioned before that I am working on an exercise, uh, not an app, but an exercise uh, thing that I will share soon, I hope. But there's a couple in here that I really liked. One was called uh, uh, Gym Pact, which I may have mentioned before, but Gym Pact, basically you create a bet that you'll stick to your weekly exercise routine. And if you break the bet, you lose the money automatically, and it gets dispersed to all those people who upheld their end of the bargain. Uh, it's shown to be a really good motivator. Another one is Couch to 5K, which really trains you from going from basically nothing to running a 5k in a, a matter of weeks, I think. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then the last one, this is not like really a workout app, but I wanted to mention this. It's called Type and Walk. And basically what it does is it allows you to use the smartphone camera to display what, what's in front of the camera while you're typing. So it basically allows you to sort of keep an eye on the road, uh, quote unquote, so you don't have to end up walking into people because you're texting. It's kind of a funny thing that we even, I guess, have a need for that in this current environment, but that's fine. Uh, Next one is a a website called Cameo, and what Cameo does, which is pretty brilliant, so if you have a drop cam, and I've recommended drop cams before, they're pretty much the easiest way to have home monitoring, uh, video monitoring, and they're really cool because they have their own web server built in. You just plug them in, hook them up to Wi-Fi, and then they have uh, up to a 30-day DVR, so you can go back and look through the history. They'll monitor for movement. Cameo actually will take your footage and automatically pick out things that are worth noting. So you might have days and days of footage of like nothing really happening, but then there's that one moment that took five seconds that's really valuable, and having to search for it might not be the best thing. So Cameo will do it, but it actually will give you daily highlights automatically. So every day around 6 p.m., it's going to send you the clips that you most want to see based on its very smart algorithm. So. Really, really cool. Um, okay, now the next one is, uh, there was a, this is a random one for me, but I just really liked it. There was an article, or there is an article on Wikipedia about a, a, a jazz pianist named Art Tatum, and he was born partially blind, and then when he was young, he was beat up by some kids, and he was pretty much completely blind, and when he was a very young child, his parents allowed him to go to a local honky-tonk bar, basically, and they would push him up to the piano, and he would learn to play on a on a player piano. So if those of you who are not familiar, a player piano basically has a reel in it, and the keys move physically and play the music that's on the reel. And he would feel the keys, and that's how he learned to play, which is impressive in itself. But the thing that's most impressive, if you hear his music, is that all of those reels for the player pianos were created with two pianos, so 20 fingers. And no one ever told him that. So he learned how to play 20 fingers using his 10 and uh, the if you listen to a recording of his playing it 's absolutely fantastic and the reason I share that is when people talk about the impossible you know that 's a pretty good good example of something being technically impossible, but if you don 't know that it 's impossible, then a lot of times you might be able to figure out a way to overcome it <sighs> So the next one is about Tylenol. And this one was pretty fascinating to me. Uh, they, found, they did this study and they found that Tylenol actually dulls emotional pain as well. So uh, people are familiar with taking Tylenol for fevers or for you know, minor aches and pains. But it turns out that it actually will dull emotional pain as well, like heartache uh, or, or sadness, which is kind of amazing. Uh, not only that it will do that and work for that, but that it will actually, uh, it could be used beneficially if you want for that, depending on I guess what kind of scenario you're in. But basically, the researchers showed a bunch of emotional images on a computer screen and had people rate them for how much emotion they felt, and it wasn't just uh, negative stuff; it was positive images too. And the people who'd taken the Tylenol had a 20% reduction in emotional response based on the uh, uh, compared to the ones who hadn't taken something. So. You may or may not be able to use that kind of information, but it 's kind of fascinating to see that a a painkiller can actually have that kind of an effect and The next thing I want to share this one is a little bit overdue, but i 've been talking about Mary Meckley quite a bit I think over the last few weeks. Uh, she was at the less doing live event she is the 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 brilliant mind behind the daily meditation podcast. She delivers a daily meditation through her podcast. And it's absolutely wonderful. And it is, it's how I meditate. And she and I have gotten to know each other. And she was so kind enough to do a seven day meditation series for productivity. So I, I've shared the link in the show notes here, you can actually go through the entire seven day series if you want. And the the deal is that it makes you meditate, but it also is a it's a meditation to make you more productive. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. So Big hats off to Mary for sharing that with all of us. So the next one is uh, this is a cool uh, wearable. It's an environmental tracker. And first of all, it's beautiful. It looks kind of like the comm badge from Star Trek. And this, it's called the uh, the the Zoa, basically, or the Zoa. I'm not even sure how to pronounce it. But it it's measuring air quality, UV light, humidity, temperature, uh, and it it gives you a, a snapshot of your environment. And you can see inside versus outside what your house environment is like versus the outside environment. And if you have anything like asthma or skin allergies or or, or uh, nasal congestion, you could probably, in some cases at least relate that correlate that to the environment that you're in so if you find that there are certain environments that are very uh dirty you know basically and 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 not healthy environments that's going to be affecting your performance quite a bit it'll affect your sleep your ability to focus so you may be able to actually identify areas that are hurting you it's pretty cool really really cool um, now, i got two articles from Medical Daily, and the, I, I love both of these. But first of all, there's one about sugar, and it says that sugar provides better stress relief than aspartame. Why we eat junk food when we're stressed? So I, I've talked at length about sugar addiction, and my own struggles with sugar addiction, and basically, they found that sugar, or drinking, I think that what they did was they had women drink sucrose, and they found that their hormone, uh, cortisol, the stress hormone, dropped and when they were asked to do the same thing uh, for people with uh, drinking aspartame, which is an artificial sweetener and has been shown to link to cancer and is what they used to use in Diet Coke, I believe, they found that that did not have the same effect in lowering cortisol. So on the one hand, that's not necessarily good usable news, but it also shows that in a pinch, technically, <laughs> you know, there is a reason behind why we actually crave this stuff and artificial sweeteners really won't have the same effect that actual sugar might not to say that you should go out and eat a bunch of sugar it's, it, eating lots of sugar is not going to help your stress levels in the long term because eventually that's going to cause all sorts of other issues that will probably raise your hormones quite a bit but in the short term it's uh, it's pretty interesting information and then the last article I want to share is, uh, this is ending on a very positive note, I'd say. Looking into a dog's eyes triggers the release of oxytocin. So oxytocin is the, the love hormone, the cuddling hormone. It's what you get when you hug someone that you care about or uh, actually from any physical contact, a, a handshake will do it. And uh, oddly enough, women tend to get less oxytocin out of a situation than men do so they basically if you go for a quick hug a man might get his fill of oxytocin whereas a woman won't so they need to hold on a little longer but what they found was that looking into the eyes of a dog releases the love hormone oxytocin now i have two dogs and they have the most soulful eyes and every time i look at them i just feel love and I guess this is why. Oxytocin is something that we could all use a little bit more of. It's, it's again, it's the, it's the love hormone. It makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. So if you look into the, dogs, the, into the eyes of your dog, it, it actually will help raise that hormone, and I highly recommend it. So anyway, um, I hope everybody is having a wonderful, wonderful Memorial Day weekend. And before we get into the interview, I just want to say one last thing, which is that We have a number of programs at Less Doing, at The Art of Less Doing, that really help people improve their performance, help you be more productive, deal with inbox issues, uh, your health, your sleep, uh, overwhelm in general. We want to help people be as productive as possible. So if you head over to lessdoing.com and you sign up for the newsletter, you can get a free 30-minute consultation with one of my Less Doing certified coaches. And that's it. There's no pitch. There's nothing. We just are offering this as a way of sort of seeing what people need and if they want to go further into the program they certainly can find out more about that but if you go to lessdoing.com sign up for the email list you can get a free 30-minute consultation with a less doing certified coach and i hope you do because i want to make you optimize automate and outsource everything in your life so that you can be more effective thanks for listening and enjoy the interview with gretchen rubin
1: And now for feature interview.
0: So now I'm speaking with Gretchen Rubin, who is a New York Times bestselling author of a couple books that we're actually going to talk about today. Uh, The first one was The Happiness Project. And the new one, I I love the title, it's Better Than Before Mastering the Habits of Our Everyday Lives. So, uh, Gretchen, thank you for taking the time to talk to me.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm great. Great to have this chance to talk to you.
0: Sure. So uh, let, let's spend a few minutes talking about the Happiness Project first, because I want to give people some of the background on that. And it was such a such a a groundbreaking book, as far as I'm concerned. So how did that how did that come about?
1: Um, well, I had been a writer. Um, I'd written several books, and I was finishing up my biography of uh, Kennedy when I was on a city bus in the rain, and I. Looked out the window and thought, what do I want from life anyway? You know, I had one of those rare opportunities for reflection. And I thought, well, I want to be happy. And I realized I didn't spend any time thinking about whether I was happy or how I could be happier. And I thought, okay, I should have a happiness project. And that was the phrase that came into my mind. And I ran out the next day to the library and got a huge stack of books and started researching happiness um, because I wanted to see, well, what we, what, what should I do? And if I did it, would it make a difference? And at first, I was just going to do it for myself. Um, but before long, I realized it was so rich and so interesting. Um, and there was so much stuff I wanted to read and try. Um, but I thought, well, I should make this my next book project. And so I did.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. and, and so what first of all I, I mean I, I've read it a couple times actually but what can you share with everyone maybe who hasn't read it one or two of the things that you tried and that found that that were really helpful?
1: Oh, I tried so many things. I, I know. Mean, <laughs> One of the things that I started with um, was to boost energy because I figured if I had more energy, then everything else would be easier. Um, and in fact, I think that's very much the case. And I saw that again when I was working on my habits book, better than before. That if you start with just the very basic things, um, it's really helpful because your physical experience always colors your emotional experience. And so things like getting enough sleep, getting you know some exercise—not training for the marathon, but just making sure that I was exercising. At a low level, regularly. Um, Dealing with clutter, weirdly clutter for a lot of people, is very tied to a sense of energy. You wouldn't necessarily think that something like the crowded coat closet or an unmade bed or a messy desk would drain your energy. And yet, over and over, I found, and people tell me, that there's something about getting control over just the physical stuff of life that makes you feel more in control of your life generally. And you get kind of this disproportionate energy surge Um, from doing something like, you know, cleaning out all the old sweaters you never wear, you know, you get rid of them and you're like, Oh my gosh, I feel amazing. You know, why is that? I don't know, but it's really true.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, have you read, um, Marie Kondo's book? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, for for people who haven't, I think I might have mentioned it before, but it's uh, basically the the uh, the joy of uncluttering or something. I think it's the, the Japanese art of uncluttering or decluttering. It's it's a really fantastic book. But it, but it's that idea too that yeah, clutter can really be a distraction, and and it is. It's, it, if you don't have a an optimal environment, then you really can't perform optimally.
1: Well, somebody said to me, I finally cleaned out my fridge, and now I know I can switch careers. And I knew exactly
0: what it was. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's, yeah. that's really cool. It, yeah, it's always interesting to me how profound changes can come from very small or, or seemingly small actions sometimes. And, and actually, it's one of my big approaches to productivity is that I, I often say that there's so much that goes into somebody's productivity. Everything from the relationship they had with their parents when they were a child to like how they cope with emotional stress now, all of that relates to how much we, are able to get done or or feel like we're getting done. So it's all relevant. Uh well, are there things from the Happiness Project that have become just totally ingrained in you too that you that are with you still that will always be with you, you think?
1: Oh yeah. I mean almost everything that I did for the Happiness Project, you know, I when I when I was doing it, I I experimented on myself. So I the twelve months of the year I picked sort of twelve areas that I wanted to work on and then did a couple resolutions which now I would see that I was changing my habits at the time I didn't that wasn't quite clear to me um, and you know I tried to very carefully pick things that I thought would work you know I wasn't I for the most part um, I was testing the big theories of happiness so for instance um, one of the big theories of happiness which I personally be- did not believe was that novelty and challenge bring happiness and I thought well you know maybe that's true for a lot of people but for me familiarity and mastery bring happiness and uh but i had to test it cuz the whole idea of my book was i was going to test out these ideas on myself so i decided okay well I'll, I'll start a blog and i'll i'll do it for a few weeks and and see what happens cuz to me having a blog seemed incredibly novel very challenging very stressful made me feel stupid and frustrated and anxious and i thought i'll do it for a few weeks and then i'll just give it up you know having concluded that this was not the way for me and of course I 100% changed my mind. Novelty and challenge absolutely bring happiness. Um, you know, it is hard sometimes when you're doing something new and challenging. You go through that period of frustration or anxiety. And then my blog has become, which is now GretchenRubin.com. I've had it for eight years. It's an a giant engine of happiness for me. And I went through the same thing just a few months ago. Um, my sister and I started a podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin. And I thought to myself, you know, it feels so unfamiliar. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to feel anxious. It's going to feel like a lot of work. Um, in this case, so I was doing it with my sister, so that was going to be really fun. And I thought, you know, it's going to be novel. It's going to be challenging. I'm going to push through this this negative part. And then it's going to be, if, if it's not great, I can just stop. And if it is great, I'll be so happy that I embrace this opportunity. And, of course, two months in, like, we're having tremendous success. with it. It's tons of fun. And I'm so happy that I realized from my previous um, experience that, you know, you sometimes have to accept this, like, negative period um, in order to get the benefits that are going to come from novelty and challenge.
0: Yeah. that it, First of all, how much fun is podcasting? Oh,
1: it's so much fun. Okay. <laughs> like, yes. It, it's actually, a, it, it's actually, it, it was harder for the blog to become fun. The podcast was, like, immediately fun. Blogging was so much more technically challenging me at the time that there was a lot I mean I remember the first time I got an image to post I was like practically you know jumping up and down with excitement and uh, like being so pleased with myself but podcasting is so fun you're right
0: yeah so uh, I I get enormous joy from podcasting and it's one of those things that now it's a lot easier to see the value of it but when I did you know for the first year probably I was doing it there was no attributable value that I could put to it and it's and that's in most I think in traditional thinking, that would be insane for someone to do that. It's like, what, you're spending all this time doing something that you have no possible, or you don't know how you're going to get any return from it, either value, you know, like anything. No, you know, you're just sort of shouting into the ether, and then eventually people start to listen, hopefully, and Wait. it turns into something.
1: But, you know, that's a very good point because I think that's something that comes up with habits a lot is that, like, people sometimes fantasize that there's going to be this amazing change. Like, oh, I'm going to do this for a week, and then I'm going to have so much more energy, or my body's going to be completely different, or, oh, I'm going to, you know, like, sometimes you just have to trust that you're, that, you know, you know you're doing the right thing, and you have the satisfaction of knowing that you're doing the thing that you want to expect from yourself, and you have to be patient because you don't always see, sometimes you do, sometimes you see immediate returns. Sometimes it's very gradual, and you you just sort of have to accept that you're doing something because you know it's the right thing for you, even if you um, even if you don't see like a giant you know transformation or a giant change. Um
0: Hello, Gretchen.
1: No, I see there's a uh, warning sign. Are you there?
0: Yeah, okay. I, I, even if I, I lost you at even if you don't see the change. Hello? Gretchen?
1: Are you there?
0: Yes, can you hear me? Okay.
1: I, 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 okay. It says internet connection problem.
0: Okay, uh, I, I think we're okay now. So I lost you at um, even if you don't see the change.
1: Okay. Um, even if you don't see the change right away, um, a lot of times it's, it's, you know, you know that you're doing, uh, the thing that you want to expect from yourself, that you're doing the thing that's going to pay off in the long run. So you have to stick to it, even if that immediate payoff isn't there.
0: Right. Well, and that's actually a pretty good segue into talking about habits. So what got you interested in habits? Well,
1: it was interesting because, you know, I wrote, I wrote the happiness project, wrote happier at home. And so I'd been reading and thinking and talking to people about happiness for years and I began to notice a pattern, which was that when I talked to people about either a big happiness boost that they'd had or more often a big challenge that they were struggling with, they often pointed to something that really was a matter of habit. Like somebody would say, oh, my gosh, I'm just exhausted all the time. But really that was about the habit of getting enough sleep. And so I became increasingly drawn to this idea of, um, of the role that habits play in our lives. You know, they, research suggested about 40% of our daily lives is shaped by habits the role that they play. And then why is it that sometimes we can change them and it's weirdly easy to change them. And then sometimes it seems like we struggle and struggle to change them no matter how much we want to. And so I became very, very um, uh, fascinated by habits and by the desire to kind of crack the riddle of habits. There was so much about it to me that was seemed puzzling. Um, I really wanted to figure it out.
0: Okay. So what, What did you get started? Like, what's a habit that you've traditionally had a problem with keeping?
1: Well, so here's one of the things that's interesting that I discovered about myself when I was writing this when I went into this book. I thought I was a pretty typical person, and when I was writing about happiness, happiness, I was pretty typical. They've got these one to ten scales, and on a one to ten scale, I'm a seven, which is very typical. So it's kind of like your average person, and I figured that that would be the same with habits.
0: Everybody wants to be an average person, right?
1: Well, but well, the thing is, what was funny was that in habits, there is no framework like that. There's no way, like, to compare you and me. There's no way to say, like, this person is like this, and another person's like that. There's just sort of an unspoken assumption that everybody's the same when it comes to habits, which seemed to me obviously incorrect. Um, People have very different aptitudes for forming habits, and they have very different attitudes towards habits. Um, And I noticed this because when I started saying I was writing about habits, several people said to me, why would you write about something that has such a negative connotation? And I was like, "Mm, to me, habit has a very positive connotation. I'm surprised that you would say that, but I noticed that several people had made that remark. So one of the things that I learned writing this book is that I came up with this framework called The Four Tendencies, which divides all of humanity into four categories of people. I love to divide people. They say there are two kinds of people, those who like to divide people into two kinds of people and those who don't. I'm definitely the kind who does like to divide people into categories. So this is a framework that divides all of humanity into four categories, four tendencies, um, and if you're curious, you can go onto my site, GretchenRubin.com, and there's a quiz you can take that will tell you what you are. And what I learned about myself is that I'm actually in a very small category, very un- like not that many people are in my tendency, which is the upholder tendency. And one of the features of upholders is that we find it very easy, relatively, not always very easy, but relatively easy compared to other people, to form habits. So in fact, Forming habits is something that I am pretty good at, which explains why I'm attracted to writing a book about it. Because I love habits and I find it fairly easy to change them. So I wasn't coming at a place of really deep struggle with habits, um, but um, but it took me a while to understand why that was true. That I was like part of this kind of freaky fringe. Uh, now years before, I had really struggled with my sweet tooth. Um, that was a really that was a habit that I had trouble with, but I had realized. Um, that for me, um, abstaining is a really good strategy. That's one of the 21 strategies that I outlined. One of the strategies is abstaining. It doesn't work for everybody, but it works really well for some people. Um, and that's that's, that's I mean, what
0: that's what I had to do for my sweet tooth. I actually wanted to talk about that with you oh, a little bit more. So okay,
1: but that was one thing where I was like, um, that was something I really struggled with in the past. But by the time I had gotten around to writing this book, I'd already figured out um, not. Not, I hadn't intellectually understood why it worked for me, but I had just figured out through practice that this is what worked for me, which is if I have a strong temptation to avoid it altogether.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, for me, sugar uh, addiction was a real thing. And uh, I I, I uh, hopefully i am correct, but I blame it. Uh, on my Ironman training where I was doing 8,000 calories a day, which was 80, and 85% carbs. And then when I stopped, my, my body, question. yeah, <laughs> not a great idea, but I didn't know any better at the time. And then when I stopped, my body's like, hey, where's the sugar? You know, where's yeah. my carbs? So it, it's always something that sort of comes up. But yeah, for me, I had to completely abstain and replace it with five, like basically, and, and I'll, I'll, we can talk about this more, but I, I have five uh activities that I have to sort of do every day that for myself and they don't take long and I can talk about what they are, but it's uh and I have to keep that streak going for me in terms of habits, keeping a streak is really helpful. Yeah.
1: The don't break the chain.
0: Yeah. It's a, that really works for me, which is surprising because it you're in my case, at least I'm only accountable to myself. Nobody knows. I mean, I'm telling you, but nobody really knows about this or keeps me on it. Uh, I basically get an email every day. There's a service called Every and dot com. And it will send you an email or a text every day and ask you whatever you want and you just reply and mm-hmm. then it keeps a track of your answers. So it's mm. really it's just a yes or no for me, and it's all or nothing. I have to do it. But so far, it's been like forty-five days and I haven't broken that chain. What are the
1: five what are the things on your chain?
0: Okay. So uh, one is I have to, so no sugar, that's one of them. Yeah. Uh, to and by
1: sugar, do you mean things, do you include carbs like starchy vegetables no. or rice or pasta or wheat?
0: Well, I rarely eat pasta anyway. It's real, uh, but, um, uh, no, I, 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 rice is definitely a part of my diet. I basically mean no added sugar. So I'm not okay. going to have any sweets, nothing that has, a, I don't eat a lot of things with labels, period, but anything, if there's sugar on, on the label as an ingredient in any form, whether yes. it's fructose or even xylitol, yeah. then no. Um, so you know, like I, there's, for like there's a uh, nut butter that I love. that's it's seven different nut butters called Nutso, and that has one gram of natural sugar, not added to it, just in it. That's okay, uh, but nothing that's like considered to be a sweet would I have?
1: Because I'm one of those low carb fanatics,
0: oh, like, and so I, I'm very I'm a, yeah. I eat a very high fat diet. I just yeah. I don't avoid yeah. carbs, but I yeah. uh, I don't have a lot of carbs. Right. So I okay. So no sugar. Uh, meditate. Yeah. And, and meditation for me comes in an interesting form now it's changed over time but there's a a woman named Mary Meckley who does a daily po- a daily meditation podcast and every single day of the year she puts out a ten to fifteen to twenty minute meditation and it's mindfulness meditation so I do that uh, then uh, a brain training game called peak I do that uh, the third what's the uh, uh, exercise and for me exercise if I'm having a, like a really busy day or something, I'll still do you know 10 push-ups. Like that's, that still counts for me as exercise, and I can check off the box with that because I, I learned a long time ago that being like, oh, I can't go to the gym for an hour, so I'm not yeah. going to work out is a really yeah. bad strategy. Yeah. So, and then the last one is uh, there's a service, which I've talked about on my podcast a number of times, called Talkspace, which basically uh, it puts you with a therapist via text. It's, a, it's an app really amazing thing it's like 12 dollars a week and you have unlimited access to your therapist and Mm -hmm. to me it's it's more like i write a journal and somebody else reviews it that's Uh, good so i have to
1: oh sorry there it goes
0: that's okay uh so i have to we'll just pause
1: yeah i'm sorry i just can't figure out how to do it without totally disconnecting the phone that's okay course it's
0: a telemarketer too so uh-huh. nobody i know actually calls me anymore right, <laughs> You're right. okay uh and so oh, so i basically have to uh say something to the therapist every day mm. so yeah. it, it, all of this stuff is basically as far as i'm concerned it's about staying uh balanced and also uh self-control yeah yep yep
1: self-mastery is so important um, but the one thing I would say is that it's, it's, have you thought through what would happen if you broke the chain? Because sometimes people, um, that's the strategy of safeguards in my system, which is, it's absolutely true that it's like imp- keeping, not breaking a chain is a incredibly, it can be incredibly effective, but sometimes a person must break the chain or, you know, something happens and you just, you do break the chain. So you always want to have a plan for like, okay. It's not such a big deal, you know, this doesn't mean that I've blown it all together, you know, it was one day, whatever, and get back on the horse. Because there's sort of a, a, an assumption among some people that, and this doesn't sound like you're, th- th- what's true in your case, but some people assume that if they load themselves with guilt and shame, if they, if they break a good habit, that that will kind of excite them and give them uh, the desire to stick better to that habit. But what research shows is that people who show compassion for themselves if they break a chain – um, do better about getting back, back in, back into it and not just like, you know, saying like, well, you know, I had one mini cupcake, so I just blew my diet and now, you know, I might as well just eat everything at sight and like give up altogether.
0: That's um, me. What? <laughs> That's me.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, cause it, it's sort of like, well, you know, uh, that wasn't my best day. I'll do better next time. I've learned my lesson next time. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll have the safeguard. Um, because sometimes, it, you know, it's it's helpful to plan for failure because we don't want to fail. It's, it's really great to keep that chain going. But every once in a while, you know, there's something, something happens. And um, I, mean, I remember this funny story where somebody was telling, telling me that his wife was quitting smoking. And she said to him, I w- I'm just telling you right now that I've quit smoking. And if you see me smoking a cigarette, just remind me that I've quit smoking. And before I wrote this book about habit, I would have thought that was crazy. But now I understand what she was saying to herself. She's like... Even if I screw up and have a cigarette, I still quit smoking. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna change that. Like that is what's happening now. I'm quitting smoking. And um, and she did successfully quit smoking. So but it probably would be easier if you if you never did smoke a cigarette, but if you did, you can still be a you can still quit smoking.
0: Yeah, that and and there's that thing about people quitting smoking, it's so easy they can do it dozens of times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: right, right, right. I mean,
0: uh, well, see, that's the funny thing with me. I don't have a generally addictive personality. I actually did. I, I was a smoker, believe it or not, when I was working in construction. I, used, I was smoking a pack a day at one point. And um, when I put down my last cigarette, I, I never had another one. And I said that I was like, "This is my last cigarette." And it, but the argument could be that I wasn't actually addicted to cigarettes. So I, it, it's hard to say. I mean, it was, what about for you though? With with sugar, what was? I mean, you said abstaining, but was that it? You just went cold turkey, or what's well, the
1: well, I, you know, and, and there, it sort of happened in two stages because, like, years before, I had read this funny thing. Um, Samuel Johnson is one of my favorite authors, the 18th century British essayist, and there was this this anecdote where he was at a party and someone said, asked him if he would take a little wine, and he said, "I can't take a little. Abstinence is as easy to me as temperance would be difficult." Meaning that he could give it up altogether. He could say no altogether, but he couldn't have just a little bit. And, I, and when I read that, I thought that's absolutely true for me. When it comes to a strong temptation, I don't have trouble having no cookies. But if I had one cookie, then I want seven cookies. Um, and I realized that for me abstaining was easier. Um, and uh and so it was just easier to like have no halloween you know, when it's Halloween and my kids have candy all over the place, I'd say, I'm having no Halloween candy. That's easier than saying like, I can have two little pieces today. Or does this one count? This one's so little. Oh, did I already have two? Oh, well, I'm not going to have any tomorrow. So I can have one today, you know, just getting out of all that noise.
0: Yeah. I'm um, oh, sorry. And,
1: and this happens with technology too. I think a lot of people have trouble managing. Like my sister had to delete candy crush. She couldn't play a little candy crush. Um, and somebody said to me, I can't go to espn.com. Like, if I go, it's three hours. There's no middle ground. The only way I can not waste time on it is to never go because it's just, I can't, I can't have a little.
0: Right, so I, I like to say that I'm very binary. You know, for me, it's yep. like all or nothing, and yep. that that's a very good thing in a lot of situations, obviously, but but not in others. And that's a that's a really good example you give. So my wife is is French, and she would probably attribute part of this to the fact that she's French, because it's culturally, it's a very common thing. But like, if you take a bar of dark chocolate and you give it to her, that's she's awesome. the type of person who can take a bite, put it back on the shelf, wrap it up. Four days later, maybe take another bite. I'm the type of person who, where I would get a bar of chocolate and it would not make it to the checkout line of the, of the, yeah. the grocery <laughs> store, you know. So and that's and I was done. It's like I, it was almost like I was just I opened it, so I'm gonna finish it. Well, uh, see,
1: and that I mean, and I use that exact example of the chocolate bar as the sign because because some people are like us, they're abstainers, but then there's moderators like your wife. And they can have, they do better when they get kind of panicky and rebellious if they're told they can never have anything. They do better when they can have it sometimes or a little bit. And they often will. And if they they know they can have it, often they don't even want it. But there's a lot of conflict because it's like you say to your wife, don't buy this chocolate bar because if you buy it, I'm going to eat it. And she says, well, you need to learn how to control yourself. Just have a little bit, whatever you want. You're like, no, I'm going to eat it if you have it. I don't want it in the house. And she's like, well, why should I not have it if you just because you can't control yourself? And so there can be a lot of conflict. Because both people are saying to the other one, you're doing it wrong. Like, people, uh, moderators often say to me, like, you're too rigid. Well, it's not rigid for me. For me, this is what, this is, this is how I feel freer. This is how I feel like I'm more in control of myself in a, in a pleasant, energizing way. Um, and it's not like the moderators are doing it wrong. That works for them. And so it's just a question of, like, well, it's not right or wrong. It's just what kind of person are you? And so, and so how can we live in a situation where we can both do what we want Comfortably, because a lot of times people are trying to convert each other into the, you know. And I'd say to a moderator, well, why don't you just give it up cold turkey? And why do you keep breaking your own rules? Well, that's not how they see it, you know. And so, um, so it's interesting um, that that there really are these sort of different approaches.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and people have to understand that too. Yes. What what uh, is there any habit? Sorry.
1: It's okay. It's the same. It's the same telemarketer. Call
0: are you where are you located um I'm in New York City you are yeah so this this is an odd time for telemarketers to be calling I usually get the uh, like six thirty to seven thirty calls. oh, we get
1: that too okay, they're done all right what are
0: you gonna say all right so is there any habits that you're currently working on in implementing in your own life?
1: Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I'm work- I've am i got tons of habits. Like, I mean, in the Happiness Project and Happier at Home and Better Than Before, it's all about habits that I'm acquiring and working on. Um, so I have a million different habits um, that... I experiment with, I mean, things as little as, uh, like, I started keeping a food journal. That's a very common habit that people say helps people eat more healthfully. I think that's absolutely true. I have this fun one um, called Power Hour that I do every weekend, which is, I I have, like, a running list of tasks that are not urgent, um, but that are draining me because I'm just not doing them. Um, You know, things that can be done at any time are often done at no time. And I wanted to have a habit of non-recurring annoying tasks. So like right now in my power hour, I need to empty out the shredder, which is packed full. So I can't shred anything more, but it's messy. So I don't like to do it, do that and then do all my shredding that I need to do. Um, uh, a, A really good one. This is one, you know, you, I always heard this and I was amazed at how well it worked, which is, to brush your teeth after dinner, as a way to stop yourself from night snacking, I can't believe how effective that is. Really? So Yeah, it really, it's it's a signal to your brain, kind of like, okay, well, that's over, you know, like, done, that, eating is finished for the the night. I was amazed at how effective, just as a simple, um, uh, as a simple intervention that was, so I, I got a million of them. I mean, I tried, I tried meditation, I did it for five months, and I had no trouble with the habit of meditation. But meditation itself did, did nothing good for me and was starting to really, like, make me deeply frustrated and annoyed, which I felt like was contrary to the whole point of meditation. So then I had to break the habit of meditating. Every morning um, because, uh, you know, at a certain point I just decided, well, you know, this isn't, this habit is not, is not, uh, it's not, it's not being productive for me. I know so many people swear by it, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that worked for me.
0: Well, I, I, you know, I had the same struggle, honestly, and meditation was making me very, very frustrated. Uh, the, the way that I finally got into it was an app called Buddhify. And the, and the reason I love it is that it's got, and I don't use that now because now I've moved on to something similar, but better for me. Uh, but Buddhify has about 80 different meditations in it, everything from like three minutes to 15 minutes. And they are, they are uh, activity based. So if you're walking in the city, there's four or five. If you're doing the dishes, there's two of them. If you're, uh, sitting at the computer, there's, an, there's one of them. So it was really easy to just sort of put it on and listen and go through it. And that, that really got me into the habit. And now I, I do this this podcast that I listened to. So it was, it was all about sort of finding the method because I, I had the same experience, but um, okay. So the, the, the last question that I always like to ask on these interviews is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective?
1: Mm. Ah, the first one is I really I so profoundly believe this now and I saw it with happiness and I see it I just even more reinforced with habits is that the crucial piece is to know ourselves. And it's easy to think that there should be these magic one-size-fits-all solutions, and the secret is, like, to do it first thing in the morning, or um, you know, start small, or, you know, do a little bit each day. And, um, but there is no wit. There is nothing that works for everyone. These are great strategies for some people. They don't work for everyone. And so the key thing is to understand yourself. If you're a night person, the idea that you're going to get up early and work on some project it's not setting you up for success. If you can barely get out of work, I mean, ba- barely get out of bed in time to get to work, getting up early and working on some project, when you're, it, 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 it's just not, not going to work for you. Um, when it comes to work pace, some people are sprinters, some people are marathoners. Marathoners like me like to have like, work steadily over the long term. We hate deadlines, we work, that's how we work best. Sprinters like the adrenaline at the finish line. They like that crunch. That's what makes them productive and creative and energetic. And so you just have to know what's true for you so that you can set it up. Because if you know what's true for you, you can shape your habits to suit your nature. But often what people do is they say, like, oh, this worked for Steve Jobs. I'm going to do that, and it'll work for me. Of course. Well, it depends on maybe it will, maybe it won't. I mean, maybe you're a lot like Steve Jobs. Maybe you're not so much like Steve Jobs. you know, you got to figure out what's true for you. And I think people get discouraged when they hear that something should work, and they blame themselves, so well, there's something wrong with me. I just have no willpower. I have no self-control. Um, no, maybe not. Maybe it's just maybe. Maybe you're a simplicity lover, and this is an ab- abundance lover's solution. Um, another thing is, uh, I mean, it's it's about how to be more productive or how
0: more to effective
1: to be more effective.
0: And you can you can interpret that how you like. Yeah, I mean, that that was a good one. So.
1: Yeah, and to be more effective, I think in the, in the 21 stra- – so I identify 21 habit strategies, and it's the same strategies whether you're making or breaking a habit. And of those 21 strategies, one is the strategy of clarity, which is that we're much more able to stick to our good habits if we're very clear about what we want, why we want it, and what we're expecting of ourselves. And so sometimes people will say to me, like, I should give up coffee. And I say, why should you give up coffee? I'm not saying you shouldn't give up coffee, but I'm just saying, why would you? Because a lot of times we sort of adopt habits because people tell us that we should. We're really, it doesn't matter to us. Like, why do it? if It's not going to make you feel better. If there's not some point for you, then then why why bother? Um, So clarity is like, why are you doing this? And then also to be very clear about what exactly you're asking of yourself. So if you're saying like, well, I want to eat more healthfully. That's very vague. What, is that, what does that mean? Maybe you want to quit sugar. Maybe you want to start stop eating fast food for lunch and you want to bring home cooked meals from home. Maybe you want to stop eating out for dinner. Maybe you want to um, you know, eat eggs for breakfast instead of oatmeal. Whatever it might be for you, whatever you would decide to do, you want to be very, very clear because that's going to allow you to be effective in following through because you're going to say, did I do it or did I not do it? It's not like some general aim that's in your head. It's like an actual behavior that you're expecting from yourself, and then like you, like you, just like you do, you have a chain. You know whether you've done it or not. That's the strategy of monitoring. Anytime we monitor a behavior, we tend to do a better job with it. And you can't monitor something that's not specific. It's like, did you eat healthfully today? Well, it's hard to say. Did you right. eat sugar today? No, I didn't. That's very easy to say. Um, and the other thing about being effective is, you know, again, just think about your body. You know, I, I'm just struck by how many people don't get enough sleep. It's very hard to do your best work if, you're not, if you haven't had enough sleep. I mean, it affects your mood, your memory, your immune function, your decision-making. They even think it contributes to weight gain. If you're exhausted, it's hard to ask a lot of yourself. But here's a secret tip, and um, it's of all the 21 strategies I talk about, this is the most fun strategy, and that is the strategy of treats. And I argue that we should load ourselves with healthy treats, not unhealthy treats, but healthy treats, because healthy treats they give you a boost in self command research they did studies where they where they gave people a surprise gift or had them watch a funny little video and their self mastery rose when we give ourselves treats it's like we're like a cell phone getting a battery charge and when we give more to ourselves we can ask more from ourselves so if you're trying to be in better control of yourself um anything that is going to boost your energy and boost your sense of self command whether that's getting enough sleep Or buying yourself some new music. A friend of mine bought himself new music every Tuesday morning when iTunes releases new music. Another friend had fur therapy, where he played with his dog for half an hour. Um, You know, I love perfume. I put on perfume two, three times a day. I work by myself. Nobody cares what I smell like in the elevator. (laughs) I put on perfume because I like it. Um, You know, whatever that healthy treat is for you. Um, And so, by doing that, you increase your self mastery. And when you increase your self mastery, then you can be more effective in everything that you're trying to do.
0: Oh, perfect. Those are awesome. Um, all right. So, so Gretchen, where can people find out more about you and obviously the book?
1: Um, I have a site where I post almost every day called GretchenRubin.com. Um, I also have a new podcast with my sister where we talk about happiness and good habits, and, uh, and we're sisters, so we don't let each other get away with much. We talk a lot about our own experiences, and that's called Happier with Gretchen Rubin. Um, And on my site, I have a lot of resources. There's discussion guides. There's a starter kit. A lot of people, when they're trying to change their habits, they want to start an accountability group for people who are going to hold themselves accountable for changing habits. So the starter kit, if you want to start a group like that, and I have discussion guides for book groups and work groups and spirituality groups and a bunch of – I have a a checklist that has all the 21 strategies listed on it. So if you identify a very concrete habit that you want to change, like – you know. you know, meditate every morning before work. Um, it goes through, you can like go through all 21 strategies and see all the different things, all the options that are open to you in terms of changing that habit. That's something that a lot of people have said they found useful. So there's a ton, ton of stuff there. Um, and so I encourage people to go there and then I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and YouTube, all you know, all the usual LinkedIn, all the usual places.
0: Great. Well, I mean, we're going to link to everything in the show notes. So, Uh, Well, thank you so much for your time. That was really, that was great. And everybody, I really encourage you to check out both of uh, Gretchen's main books there. And this last one is just a really great wealth of very actual knowledge. So Gretchen, thank you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we'd love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Meisel and mine is at Felix Bird we hope you enjoyed this podcast see you next time